0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast. My name is Scroobius Pip. Thank you for tuning in once again. And thank you for once again, uh, just storming us in these iTunes charts. It's blowing my mind that uh, we went straight into number one. We've not really gone out of the top five much. I think we dropped in the top 10 at one point. But yeah, it's amazing. So thank you for subscribing and sharing. And this one is one that I'm hugely excited about you all to hear. Um, i'm going to talk about the sponsors in a minute, but first i just right at the start, I wanted to say this this is one that's <sighs> Basically, I know that a lot of my fan base um, will be specifically tuning in for maybe the hip-hop ones or the music-based ones and things like that, and they may not n- know of Simon Singh. I mean, he's very known in his areas, but may not know of Simon from my fan base, um, but this is the one to listen to. This is the one to get to know him. Um, but I'll quickly go over the sponsors. Um, we are brought to you today by Speech Development Records, which is my record label. Um, check us out. We've got Sage Francis. We've got B. Dolan. We've got myself. We've got War and Peace. We've got J- 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 Jack and my Brown, we've got Polar Bear. We've got a lot of good stuff all over at uk. There's a merch section, there's all sorts of other stuff, so come fuck with us. Um, we're also brought to you by Redshift Rebels, that is a, a clothing company that um, decided that the money that companies spend on marketing is kind of gross, so they decided to not spend their money on marketing. They decided instead to um, to spend it on music and put it on live events and, and Putting out EPs and stuff like that, and mixtapes from artists, um, you may then go. Well, this, they've got an advert here. They've not paid for this. They've got a, a load of free advertising spots here. I think this might be the last one that I that we agreed on. Um, but yeah, they got a load of free spots because in my early in the early days of my career, they put out a little EP for me, a little. Mixtape. They put me on at numerous of their Redshift uh, Rebels nights, and they now DJ re- regularly at my We Are Lizards club night. So, yeah, just sharing the love there. So that's cool. If you go to Redshift a Rebels, a website you will be able to get a 25% discount by entering the discount code FREECHEESE. Um, so go and do that. And finally, we've got onit.com, which is a fascinating one because I tried to talk in this podcast to Simon Singh about some of their products and he didn't actually have knowledge on it, which was interesting. I'd like him to look into it if he gets a chance because it's fascinating. They, this they, onit.com, O N N I T, um, sell a lot of fitness stuff, but they're a general human optimization website. They sell, um, They sell stuff for exercise, they still sell supplements in that way, but they also sell nootropics, which is something that I've enjoyed, um, which is kind of for mental stimulation and things like that. Um, It's Again, it's a new science, so there's a lot of question marks over it. Thankfully, on it.com, they have full breakdowns of tests that have been done and blind tests and double blind tests and and neutral stuff. So, you know, you can make your own mind up. Um, Hopefully, someone like as Simon will um, cast an eye over them as well to uh, to get their opinion on it. Um, so yeah, that's the sponsors. Oh, and if you go to onit dot slash scrubiuspip, you'll get ten percent off for being a listener of this podcast. So that's o n n i t dot com slash s c r o o b i u s p i p that's the spelling section over of today's broadcast so yes Simon Singh it's very exciting to have him on he's um the first um MBE we've had on which is exciting but um he's a scientist a mathematician an author um he's a fascinating guy I first saw him um at one of uh, Robin Ince's events and yeah I I kind of I want to gush and tell you about all the things that we talk about but it's best for you to just uh, listen basically he brought some very exciting things into the studio he does some kind of experiments and he does some explanations of things that are absolutely fascinating so i'm not going to talk any longer i'm just going to stop now and say enjoy podcast number six with simon singh (laughs) This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction This piece of fiction is the intro to, the intro to, the intro to Shall we begin? Yeah. Right, well, um, yes, this is the Distraction Pieces podcast. And I'm joined by um Simon Singh, MBE, our first ever MBE <laughs> in the in in the studio. So oh, I
1: forgot I had an MBE. A, a pleasure to have to you reminded. here,
0: sir. Um, it's it's great to have you along. How's your are you good today? How's your journey been? You all right?
1: Yeah, all fine, all fine. um Yeah, just all hectic as usual. Lots yeah. of things happening that I'm way behind on. But yeah, nice to be.
0: It's always the way. It's going to be good to have a chat. You're for anyone who doesn't know, you're an author um sp- specializing in writing and indeed a talking about is where I first saw you. um Maths and science and or kind of in an accessible manner. um I, I met you and saw you at, uh, uh, at one of robin in and brian cox's shows and again it was just great to, to sit and watch and hear about these things that maybe a yeah I, I, I don't know i would have been scared to learn about potentially <laughs> but hear them in an accessible and 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 comfortable manner
1: well rob robin's been uh, an absolute star in in terms of bringing people like me onto a stage because yeah. you know I, I i write about science and i talk about science but Even when I talk about science, it tends to be in a lecture theatre rather than a real theatre. And uh, and so a few years ago, Robin asked me and Ben Goldacre and a couple of others to talk about science in a pub. Um, And we had a couple of comedians there as well talking about philosophy and other things. And that then grew into these giant, you know... Hammersmith Apollo, events. Manchester 0 two events with, yeah. with Brian there as well, Brian Cox, who you know just brings in this huge audience of people that are hungry for knowledge and interesting stuff. So um, yeah, it's a real real thrill for me to be able to talk about science in front of a, a very general audience. Yeah. And it's great that it all
0: all, all, all feeds each other essentially. That um, I mean, I'd say if if any of you aren't familiar with Ben Goldacre, he, he, he was another one that just blew me away with everything he was teaching and, and and saying on stage so i recommend people check more out um but yes so how was that for you to go from writing or, or from teaching potentially in a lecture theater over to being kind of performing
1: well, yeah, i guess yeah, no, thank you for the compliment <laughs> it was kind of performing yeah um it, 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 i suppose I, I did try it out before there's a child called richard wiseman People may or may may not know Richard, but um, he's written books. He's a psychologist. um, He's a professor of psychology. um, He's made some extraordinary YouTube videos. I think he's had something like 160 million views. Wow! It's astonishing the reach he has. Um, And I'd seen him give a talk. And he's also a magician, I should say. Yeah. So um, a lot of his psychology comes from insights he derives from being a magician. Wow. And... um, So I saw him give a really great lecture and I said, this is something that should go to a bigger audience. So he and I decided to put on a show where I would do the first half, he would do the second half and we'd do it in a theatre. And the the theatre that... Kind of was up for giving it a go was the Soho Theatre, which which encourages new ideas and and new writers, and and it was great. We just sold out, you know, sold out a whole week of shows. And then we went to Dublin, we went to New York and Off Broadway theatre. We went to uh, to Edinburgh for the Fringe. We came back to London, did another show, Um, and that was really about uh, having a spectacle. I mean, again, Richard's got a great. Um, eye for for what's going to capture people's imagination. So yeah, we had sure. a, um, what are called Tesla coils. Tesla coils generate bolts of lightning, yeah. and we had million volt bolts of lightning flying across the stage in quite a small theatre. And uh, each evening, the, the audience would vote for one of us to go inside a metal cage. <laughs> now the metal cage is called a Faraday cage, and it can, it conducts the electricity and the current around you. Um, oh, so it's wow. absolutely essential. You're not touching any part of the cage. Um, and the audience would vote for who would go in the cage. And, and um, I remember my, my future wife came along with her mother, my future mother-in-law, <laughs> and she very rapidly voted for me to go inside the cage. <laughs> and I've never forgotten that. It's so. a good test. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and, and people in the audience were just maybe 10 feet from the cage. Mm. And, and what happens is lightning, I think the way my chemistry is not so great. Um, I'm, my background is more in physics, but my, yeah. my chemistry... Um, memory tells me that the the volts um, the, the, the lightning bolts react with the nitrogen in the air and the oxygen in the air to create nitric acid right. um, and the nitric acid. Um, you know filled the room with this really acrid odor really yeah. kind of a, a burning odor to the back of your throat and if you were in a cage it was absolutely horrible yeah of course um so so yeah that's the kind of that was a, a fun experiment that we did in a theater it's beautiful cuz cause, cause, cause,
0: cause there was obviously a time when that
1: that th- that that exact kind of thing
0: was what was selling out theaters and 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 you know it was it's what was drawing an audience whether it be as a magician or as a as a scientist is you know displaying this new technology so yeah, I, I, the- it's great to kind of to return to that. Yeah,
1: I mean, the, the science was magical. Yeah. People were creating x-rays. They were creating uh, communication through the ether. They were uh, generating these electrical currents of mag- magnetic phenomena for the first time. So the the centre of all of this is is the Royal Institution, a uh, magnificent building yeah. in Mayfair uh, on Albemarle Street. Mm-hmm. You can still go there today. And um, if you go inside and you look at some of the paintings... Um, You have people like Dickens, uh, members of the royal family, all sat in these scientific lectures, watching the great scientists of the day, liquefying air, you know, an extraordinary thing to see. And um, Albemarle Street, where where this institution is based, was the first one-way street in London because the carriages would clog it up with visitors coming to see these lectures. So first one-way street, all because people were desperate to see science. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's beautiful, and it's great to see that re- a returning with um, oh, oh, the, the talks that, that Brian gives at these at the HammerSmith Apollo and all these, and Robin and yourself, and all of that. So that's yeah, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, it, it, it you know it, it's a, it, it's a real joy to do a big event with with Robin and Brian, um, uh, 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 and and to see young kids who are just nerds and geeks and proud of it. With their parents or older brothers and sisters or people that have hated science in the past but are now curious again, yeah. and yeah, it's just a thrill to be part and of it that just whole being, endeavour. And it being a night out, not yeah.
0: not a not a, a lesson or a le- it's it's a night out, and that's yeah. what excited me about them was the mixture of comedy, music, and science and maths and everything else. But in in p- p- palatable enough chunks for it to not feel overwhelming like there was there's no point but it might have been a one or two points where (laughs) where i felt kind of ignorant and I just thought oh i'm not getting this at all because if there's something that's slightly too much you're on to the next thing and it's just this amazing engaging
1: thing we 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 did that with with so so one of the things that richard did in one of our shows was um he had a contortionist right and so we would see the contortionist perform and get inside this this small perspex box and you know, be carried off stage in this small perspex, perspex box, I think. Amazing. Um, but the scientific angle of it was that no one had put a contortionist inside an MRI scanner before. Nobody had actually seen what their bones and their ligaments are doing. To do so Richard, that point wow. had, had, had placed her inside an MRI, and so you had the scientific element, which was the the the, the medical imaging and yeah. the discussion of anatomy, coupled with the performance of the contortionist. That's amazing,
0: um, yeah. To or, break it it down in that way and it, it, in a way it feels like it's, it's the kind of the the ruining the magic trick type element of it it's, obviously it's, yeah. it's, it's not but it's, it makes it all the more fascinating because that's in reality what everyone really wants to know yeah, <laughs> like, no, how, I, how does the body work in that way how can it bend and move around yeah. and, and maintain but that there,
1: there's, 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 um, there's a Richard Dawkins book um, called Unweaving the Rainbow mm-hmm. which is, which is a, a line taken from a Keats poem Yeah, and I think what, what Keats was saying was that, again, when Keats was writing his, his romantic poetry, this is when these great scientific breakthroughs were happening and the Royal Institution was flour- flourishing. Um, so what he was writing about was that there were these darn scientists who were analysing the rainbow, stripping it apart, right, and therefore right. destroying its beauty. And I think what Richard Dawkins writes about in his book, Unweaving the Rainbow, and many other scientists have, have said as well, is that you know, any scientist can sit on a hillside and stare at a rainbow in awe. And, and, you know, I've I've got a a four-year-old, so what's great is you do it all over again because you're trying to show them the wonder of a rainbow. So you never, ever forget that. But at the same time... You add to its beauty by having an understanding of how it works. And and that goes for everything, from from the the, anatomy of of a flower to the the, the stars and the planets above us. Understanding what's going on only makes it more miraculous. Completely. I
0: think it was at one of the events where someone simply stated and pointed out that a rainbow only has one side and that blew my mind that to, to, to just to me and it, it, again it made me appreciate a rainbow all the more because that it, it's something that never crossed my mind it's such a simple thing but that only exists
1: on one on one side essentially yeah i'm just trying to think so was so what you have to do is you have to have, the sun behi- you have to have the sun behind you have to have the sun behind you um so again i've done this with my four four-year-old is it's been a bit rainy and we see the sun and we say okay I bet you now if we turn around we're gonna see a rainbow. That's amazing. And you turn around and bang it's there. And the ability to be able to predict the location of a rainbow yeah. is, is 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 again it's just even, great. Fun.
0: Even more magical um, so, yeah. to know exactly where it is. Well, we I mean we only arranged this podcast last night and <laughs> and you sent me an email, a list of things you could potentially just Pull out of a hat and chat about, and it's made me already think that we're going to have to do at least two of these at some point, because there was 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 such an amazing list. So is there any way you'd, you'd like to start, or do you want me to
1: um, directly... Far away. I, guess, I mean, the yeah. thing that...
0: Um, I'll go straight off. What made you come to mind, as I mentioned in text, I think, was I saw the trailer for the new um, Turing film, um, and the thing one of my highlights from these events was you explaining how the Enigma code was cracked and how the Enigma machine w- worked and seeing that. And, yeah,
1: yeah. so would we like to yeah, So start there? Sure, sure. So, so my first book was something called Fermat's Last Theorem. Yeah. And um, this is a, a, the most notorious problem in the, in the history of maths. And um, it's a 350-year-old problem. And it's got a very romantic story. Um, it's all about human obsession and childhood ambition and so on. And and it covers the whole history of maths because yeah. this pro this, this problem has has touched uh, upon so many areas of mathematics. Um, and one of the bits of that book was about Alan Turing. Yeah. Because Alan Turing, you know, people would we'll talk about it a bit more in in a second maybe. But but um, people associate him with code breaking, but he mm-hmm. was also a pioneer of computing. You know, everything yeah. in this studio is based on the ideas of Alan Turing. Yeah. Um, he worked on on the, uh, the, the 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 way that that uh, the colours of animals' coats behave. You know, why does a cheetah have spots? And why yeah. do the spots on a cheetah's tail turn into stripes? He worked on those ideas. Uh, he worked on the fundamentals of mathematics. So he was an extraordinary man. And I crammed it into a tiny few pages in, in this book about yeah. the Last Theorem. And and i talked about his breaking of the Enigma code. Um, but the frustration of having to cram it into just a few pages uh, then triggered me to write a whole book about code-breaking. Yeah. And, um, and it's called The Code Book. The Code Book, right, yeah, yeah, and it, it goes from ancient Egypt and the ancient Greeks. Um, so, for example, one of my favourite examples of, code, of, a, of a code is something called a stega- steganographic code. Right. So a, a cryptographic code is like I jumble up the message and you can't read it. It's yeah. just gobbledygook. Sure. Steganographic code is one where I make the message invisible. So an Invisible Ink is a classic right. example. Yeah. You yeah, don't yeah, even yeah. know the message is there. Okay. And um, my favourite example of steganography was a, a Greek king who wanted to get a message across the border. So he got the messenger, shaved the messenger's head tattooed the message on the messenger's scalp, waited for the hair to regrow, and then sent the messenger across the border. Right. So, Which is lovely, because you don't even know the guy's got the message, but yeah. at the other end you shave the head and you reveal, reveal the message. So it's full of those kind of things. That's
0: amazing. Yeah, um, so, the- that's great, the idea of of uh, kind of... I mean, yeah, it may sound odd, but the, 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 the secretness and the getting the message across is more important than the... I don't know, sh- showing of your intelligence of hiding the message, if you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean. So yeah. in the first form, it's like, we've got a code and you're not going to be able to, br- to break it. Yeah. For, 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 whereas the second form is, you don't even know we've got a code. You don't even know, yeah, That's it because what we're it, trying to get across here. It, it,
1: in the last 20 years, um, there's been a big debate about whether co- codes should be freely available. Right. You know, I, I can download some free software Encode a message, send it to you. you know, mm-hmm. We could have done it last night when we were emailing each other, yeah. and nobody in the world would have been able to crack that code. All the wow. world's secret services using all the world 's computers working for a billion years would not have been able to break our code oh, wow. so so this is a this is a great thing in one way, yeah. but it also means organised criminals, terrorists and other people yeah. can use these codes. So there, w- there was a real debate about should we ban codes or if somebody's using a bit of a cryptographic software, should they give the key to some third party um, that would have to release the key if, if a judge asked for yeah. it what or whatever. Sure. Um, but all of that's meaningless if you don't even know a message is being sent. Yeah. You know, you, you can if you, if you can use steganography, then you can't stop something that you can't even see. Yeah. Um, and so we were talking about the ancient Greeks and shaving heads and so on, but this whole steganographic area is very popular today with people hiding messages and things in in objects that you're not not even aware that the message exists. So I talked about that. We talked about, um, um, you know, the Victorians. in, In the 19th century, it was much cheaper to send a newspaper than it was to send a letter um, right, because it was just felt important that newspapers were distributed right, through the yeah, post. Sure. Um, and so you would send messages by using pinpricks to pin certain holes in, in the letters of a newspaper oh, wow. and then send the newspaper, and then that would yeah. be a cheaper way of sending a letter. Um, so the book goes through all of these different codes and who made the codes and who broke the codes and how that changed history. Uh, but the biggest chapter is... Um, all about the Enigma and yeah. the Germans and the Second World War um, because what you have is is a shift from shaving heads and pinholes in paper yeah. and scribbling with, with, with uh, invisible inks to something mechanical. You move to a technological form of encryption, and that's what the Enigma is. Um, yeah. Between the wars, between the First World War and the Second World War, the Germans realised that the power of radio was enormous. You know, you can send messages across battlefields in a second, yeah. um, but you have to protect those messages. And so they developed this thing called the Enigma machine. And I'm really lucky that I've got an Enigma machine. Yeah, I've, I've
0: been looking at it at the desk <laughs> on the desk there for some time now. Um, so,
1: and it just, you know, if people haven't seen one before, it looks just like a, a wooden box about um, a foot by foot by uh, six inches deep. And you open it up, and it looks just like a, a typewriter. It's got a keyboard. Um, and if you type letters on the keyboard, then lights light up on the lamp board. Yeah. So if I type the letter A, um, I don't know if you can just see there, the W's lit up. Right, yeah. And if I type A again, oh, a C has lit up. Yeah. And so I'm typing in the same letter. And it's easily. changing yeah. each time. And the output's changing. So... Um, one of the basic codes that you might use as a school kid is you might replace A with B, yep. B with J, C with D, and so on. Yeah. But if you keep replacing the same letter with you know, a, a particular symbol or a particular yeah. other letter, um, that's an easy code to crack. You can, can figure that out. Yeah.
0: Whereas the Enigma machine is using a different letter Every each time. time and- exactly.
1: So, um, the, the, and, and the way this works, I can just open up the lid of the machine. Um and that, that clunking noise that people can hear at home is um, that every time I type a letter, a, a rotor here moves because yep. the, the, from, from the, the, the wire from the key goes through a set of three metal rotors mm-hmm. and each rotor is like spaghetti inside. So the wiring inside this rotor goes into the wiring inside that rotor goes into the wiring inside that rotor, but the rotors keep changing. And because the rotors keep changing... The, uh, the 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 wiring changes because yeah. the wiring changes the encryption changes. Sure. And um, and if if I'm sending messages to you but yep. again, so it's you know, late one evening we're sending each other messages. You've got an Enigma, I've got an Enigma. Um, if somebody wants to break our code okay they've got to have an, an enigma machine like this but they've also got to have it set up exactly the same right. way
0: um that's what i was going to ask is it's so it's spe- specific settings in there so it's yeah. not r- random but it's random to someone who doesn't have that exactly specific so, so
1: we might say we're uh, you know uh, we're going to have this rotor in this orientation we're going to move this rotor to that orientation we're going to move this one to that orientation um uh, what else can I do? When this rotor does a full revolution, it kicks the next one. When that one does a full revolution, it kicks the next one. Yeah. I can change those kickover points. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. There are plugs down here at the very front, which all they do, there's a simple array of plugs here. Yeah. Um, all they do is if I plug A with B, that means every time I type A, it follows the path of B. And every time I type B, it follows the path of A. Right. So I can rearrange these plugs at the front And there are only 20 plugs there, so I can swap 10 pairs of letters. Yeah. Um, And there are 100 million, there are 100 million, let me get this right, 100 million, million different ways to rearrange those plugs. Wow. Um, uh, It's a phenomenal number. Um, I once gave a talk
0: it's insane from such a small amount that all the different combinations obviously
1: yeah it's, it's it's like saying if you've got well if you've got 26 chairs and you've got 20 people how can you rearrange 20 people into 26 chairs it's kind of the same sort of question this is uh, this is
0: it's going to be a really odd link now but i at the weekend um i was ordering a pizza from domino's and on their menus they've got a new thing now that says more topping combinations than people on the earth yeah, yeah. so it's that same thing and me and my, my brother both looked at me and went, no, they haven't. but again if that's just 20 you know if they've got 30 exactly toppings to choose from yeah. and you can have any
1: yeah numbers <laughs> numbers uh explode very rapidly so you know, i gave i gave a talk about the enigma at the, at the british museum once and and i said you know okay 20 plugs in 26 holes how many you know how many different ways can you do this and a, a kid put his hand up he was about eight years old he put his hand up and I said, okay, so how many ways do you think you can do this? And he was obviously a bit nervous and a bit quiet. So I said, oh, do you think it's more than 100? Do you think it's more than 1,000? Still silence. I said, do you think it's more than 10,000? And he shook his head and said, no, no, I think it's 26 factorial over 20 factorial times 20 times so like. Ah! <laughs> he was a little child genius. Amazing. and uh, <laughs> he, was, he was pretty spot on. But um, So, yeah, so if someone's going to break our code, they've got to have a machine like this... Set, up, set, in set up in the same exact way. same way, right? And, and in the run-up to the war, everybody assumed, everybody knew the Germans had this, but mm-hmm. everybody assumed it was unbreakable. Right. It was, it was, um, you know, it's got so many combinations. It's, 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 uh, it, it was a massive leap forward in, in cryptographic technology. And um, the only, the, actually, the only people who dared to try and break it were the Poles. Because the Poles were sandwiched on one side by the Russians, or sandwiched between the Russians and the Germans. So they knew they were going to get invaded sooner or later. Yeah. And when, when the situation is that desperate, you try to do even the impossible. And they had the audacity to try and crack the Enigma. And they made some progress. They, they figured out some some, some ways of, of levering uh, the code. And just before Poland was invaded, they smuggled their breakthroughs to the British. Uh, the British had already set up a code-breaking centre at Bletchley Park, which I think people are now fairly familiar with this um, estate near Milton Keynes, where yeah. all the codebreakers worked. And so those British codebreakers had a head start. And so they built on the Polish breakthroughs and... Over the course of the war, they were able to read the Enigma. They, they invented their own code-breaking techniques, and over mm-hmm. the course of the war, they were in a position where, for large chunks of of, um, of the conflict, they could read the Enigma kind of as easily as, as the German military could read it. Um, wow. it, it was an incredible intellectual and insane, technological breakthrough. Um, yeah. And the new film that you, you, that kickstarted yes. this is The Imitation Game. Yes, the imita- yeah. with Benedict Cumberbatch, Cumberbatch and Keira Knightley. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure exactly to what extent it, it, it is fiction and to what extent it's based mm-hmm. on fact. But, um, you know, the, the, the stories at Bletchley are, are absolutely heroic. You know, what was done during those, yeah. those years to crack the Enigma and change the course of the war. Um, and some people say breaking the Enigma won the war and other people say, you know, it's people on battlefields who win wars. But yeah. um, either way, as a... Um, there's a, uh, so, Harry Hinsley, the, the military historian, said that um, if it wasn't for the breaking of the Enigma, then the Battle of the Atlantic wouldn't have been won so easily. Yeah. Um, and, and so, the Battle of the Atlantic would have gone on for much longer. Many more convoys, many more men would have been lost at sea. Um, that would have delayed the, D, the, the, the launch of D Day.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, D Day would have had to be postponed by a whole year to wait for good mm-hmm. weather the following year. During that year, Hitler's V weapons would have bombarded the south coast, which would have set back D-Day by another year. So, the cracking yeah. of the Enigma um, shortened the war by at least two years. That much is 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 certainly yeah, true. Yeah,
0: that's a, that's absolutely amazing.
1: Um, yeah, and that's it. That's that's the machine. This is it.
0: And how does it? Wh- wh- how? Yeah. What what was the. How was it can, broken? Can that? you explain how it was, yeah, was broken? Okay, um, I feel, again, I feel like I'm asking <laughs> the magician to explain the <laughs> no, tricks, no. but yeah, can it, you explain it, how it was broken?
1: So, um, the, 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 the weird thing is if I type the letter P, I'll close the, the lid yeah. um, because then you can see how the letters are being encrypted. Uh, I'll type P, um, it comes out as a K, comes with a T, comes up as a G. It will never come up as a P. P right. will never be encrypted as P. Mm-hmm. A Q will never be encrypted as Q and so on and so on. Now, that doesn't seem like a big problem because every letter can be encrypted as any of the other 25 yeah. except itself. That does, yeah. doesn't seem like a big problem. But there was a day, um, there was a, a woman called Mavis Beatty, a code breaker at Bletchley, and she picked up a message that had been encrypted, so it was gobbledygook, mm-hmm. and it looked like a random stream of letters except there were no Ws. OK? Right. 300 letters long, but no Ws. Now, that that's impossible. It, 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 you, 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 you can't have an output that's devoid of Ws. Yeah. Unless all you did was type W 300 times. Right. If you type W 300 times, then the output will have no Ws. So yeah. she'd crack the code. The message was just W 300 times. Right. Which is not the most interesting message in the world. Yeah, right? why <laughs> would
0: it have been W 300
1: times? OK, oh, the, the motivation for that was that... Um, if 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 you've got an unbreakable code, yeah. um, okay, nobody can read your messages, but what they can do is count how many messages you send. Right. And if you So send, if there's
0: a high velocity of messages, then then it's likely that something
1: something big's gonna happen gonna the gonna next happen, day. Right? That's, yeah, it's sure. that's called traffic analysis. Sure. And so to combat traffic analysis, you send ten messages every day. Mm-hmm. Or, or you know, you, you send a certain quota every day. Right. So your traffic is flat. So somebody sent 300 Ws purely to, to maintain a To fill quota. the quota of messages, um, wow. But, but now Mavis, she knows the message, it's 300 Ws. She knows the output, which is what she had to start with, the, the gobbledygook yeah. message. Once you know the input and you know the output you can work out the settings of the machine right that is not it's, it's not at all trivial to work out the settings yeah. of the machine but once you can pin down the input and pin down the output you can see you've got a fair chance of of getting at the settings wow and um so that's that was the 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 real um breakthrough that if you could guess any part of the message um so for example if you intercept a message at 11 uh, 1159 Um, then maybe it starts off with the time of the message, 11.59. Mm -hmm. If you intercept a message coming from just over there in the North Sea um, or just over there in the North Atlantic and you know there's a German weather ship over there, then maybe you can guess there are words like fog and rain and cloud and wind. Right. So
0: start to break it down with these.
1: And these are kind of mundane, boring messages, but the same settings for the machine will be used to send more important messages. So what you're looking for is the machine setting on a certain day. And once you know the machine setting for that day, even if it's based on a boring message, you can use that You can use that machine setting to get other more important messages. Yeah. So the Mavis Beatty message we were just talking about, once she knew the settings of the machine, she deciphered a whole slew of other messages. One of them was about a planned attack on the British Navy at Alexandria. Um, the British fleet were warned. Um, I think, I'm trying to remember the name of the admiral, I think he even went onto the land to play a round of golf because he knew that German spies would see him playing golf and think, ah, oh, right, he really got no idea what's happening. Right, then yeah. he snuck That's back on board reason. the ship in the middle of the night. They were prepared for the attack and the result was the first Allied victory um, wow. in, the, in the Mediterranean, all because Mavis had spotted this little... Um, yeah. and, and then the, Alan Turing, what his, coming back to Alan Turing, his great... Uh, 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 one of his great contributions was to build a machine called a bomb or a bomber um, and what the bombs could do is they could take the input to the machine, take your guest uh, sorry take your guest input and your output, and mm-hmm. then work out the settings of the machine from that so the yeah. bomb would kind of automate that process of figuring out the settings given some sort of input and what you have as the output and yeah, um, yeah that was and, yeah and that' say That just
0: changed the course of the war amazing, amazing the simplicity of that initial three hundred w 's and that yeah
1: yeah and, and being just, the thing
0: essentially that started off the the, the unraveling of that
1: that 's it and, and you code. just had people who had different mindsets so i don 't know mavis 's background, I suspect she was a mathematician, cheering was a mathematician, people like um uh, Gordon Welshman was more of an engineer. So okay. he would be able, to, you know, he, he knew, he said, well, okay, Turing, you want to build this, this is how we could build uh, it. Yeah. Um, people like uh, Hugh Alexander was a chess player. So not a formal scientist or a formal uh, engineer, but just loved thinking about problems in unusual ways. Yeah. And that, that, that team of people somehow um, were, were able to tackle this machine from a range of different, d- different, different avenues and, and to. And destroy its security. Yeah. Um, and all of these people, of course, um, after the war were sworn to secrecy. So the whole Bletchley yep. story... Oh, wow, I didn't uh, even realise that yeah, was oh there. God, no, it, there were people, um, you know, who... I, I met a guy, um, Michael Ventris and John Chadwick. Okay, Michael Ventris and John Chadwick deciphered an ancient, a form of ancient Greek called Linear B. Right. And when I say ancient, I mean sort of two, 3,000 B.C., maybe even more. This is tr- a truly archaic Greek. And, uh, you know, for years, nobody knew what this was, but they cracked the code. And, um, and, and, I, and I interviewed John Chadwick, and I talked to him about this, and I said to John, he was a very old man when I met him, it was you know, probably the early, no, late 1990s, and I said to him, you know, you're a classic scholar, you're clearly interested in Greek and, 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 and so on, but why did you get into cracking this mysterious script? And he said, "Look, I've never told anyone before, but I was at Bletchley Park. Oh wow! And, and so there are all these people who, who for decades, it was never, it was, yeah. it, you, it's not something you were supposed to talk about. And and so that, that's, I, I guess,
0: that that was in of a mind that it, of national security of, of 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 not putting them at risk equally if they're if they're known to be the ones that have cracked these codes.
1: Yeah, and so, to, I mean, and that that links to the." The, the tragedy of Alan Turing's story is that yeah. Turing, you know, we said earlier, he was a, a computer pioneer, uh, worked on something called morphogenesis, uh, worked on, on the fundamentals of mathematics, worked on code breaking, sworn to secrecy in terms of his contribution in, in the war. Um, but after the war, because um, he was a homosexual, he lost his security clearance, he couldn't work on government projects, couldn't work on military projects, yeah. um, was. Uh, found guilty i guess of gross indecency um in the 50s he was put on to kind of hormone therapy um and he, it, it seems very likely that he committed suicide that's um crazy, it, it? It's, it's all a bit unclear but yeah. but i think that's where most people seem to uh, have come to the conclusion that, that he, yeah. he uh dipped an apple in cyanide and, and took a bite from the apple right um But when he was buried, nobody knew about his great contribution to the war. Nobody knew that, perhaps more than anybody else, he'd changed the course of the war. um, It's insane, isn't it? And to
0: go through, obviously, everything I said, to have all his clearances removed and just generally in society to be punished and chastised for his sexuality is bad enough as it is, but when you've given this or when you've had a great contribution on this society still holding together and yeah. still being there
1: yeah and, 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 and Turing's crazy. story is perhaps the most tragic but there are you know, people that, that uh, you know their headmasters would have written to them and said uh, there's one case I'm trying to remember the name of the chap but I, I've forgotten his headmaster wrote to him and said you know you're a disgrace to your school obviously gone to one of the great public schools in yeah, the country. Yeah. You were a disgrace to your school because while your friends were battling in France, you had some cushy civil servant's job. Yeah. And he couldn't explain that he was cracking the codes yeah. that were saving the lives of of his school friends. Yeah. Um, and this, this happened time and time again. These people just didn't get the credit. And the reason for the secrecy, okay, you know, on the one hand, you think the war's over. You mm-hmm. know why Why keep all this hush-hush? And the reason for the secrecy is that the Germans had thousands of these machines and and the allies swept through europe and and collected these machines and the british probably gathered hundreds of these machines brought them back to london Um, and then somebody in whitehall would have rung up other countries um, like australia and canada and said look we've captured these great german enigma machines the germans say they're unbreakable why don't you have some so the British would give away these machines right. to their friends and, and be then able spy to. on them for the next few decades. Um, that's that's crazy, why is right? kept so yeah. secret.
0: Um, to keep that, that's amazing. Yeah.
1: And I, I got a letter from a guy once <laughs> in Canada. Uh, I guess he must have been in his 30s. And uh, he said, you know, I read about a guy in your book called Bill Tutt, and he was my next-door neighbour. And uh, when I was uh, a young teenager, he would help me with my maths homework. And and what Bill Tutt had never told this kid was that he had made an equally great contribution at Bletchley, cracking what's known as the Lorentz cipher, which was kind of Hitler's personal cipher for the most high-grade military communications. Right. And Bill Tutt lived, you know, he emigrated to Canada... And people just didn't, didn't know. know. He'd made this incredible, incredible contribution. The cracking of the Lorenz cipher is one of the greatest intellectual feats of the 20th century. Yeah. It's, I, I wish I understood it, to be honest. Yeah, wow. I understand the cracking of the enigma. The cracking of the Lorenz kind of just goes a bit over my head. So Yeah, um, let's not even start on that. Yeah, let's, let's leave Lorenz <laughs> to one side for today.
0: Um, well, I mean, that's amazing. I'm s- s- struggling to continue on a path here because that's just all mind-blowing stuff um but other books you've um i wanted to talk to you about a a trick or treatment Mm -hmm. um it's 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 kind of it's also one of the areas i found fascinating when hearing uh, ben goldacre talk about about medicine about the the myths and everything kind of behind it so what was yeah what's the kind of what was your reason for writing A a trick or treatment and what's yeah
1: what's it about so so my my motivation was um, um uh, science is very precious to me science yeah. is a way of understanding how the universe works and it's a way of um you know uh, you know, we're little animals with little brains on a small planet and yet we can look out to the universe and we can understand the age of the universe the evolution of the stars we can, yeah. can understand so much about um, our own bodies and, and, and the causes of illnesses and the, and the treatments of illnesses and so on. And so when I see irrationality, it, it, it annoys me. And it, it particularly annoys me when I see that that irrationality can harm people. Um, because unless you have a scientific training, it's easy to have the wool pulled over your eyes. Yeah. And I'm not a biologist, so when it comes to things like evolution and genetics and so on, I, I, I can be as baffled as, as anybody else. Sure. Um, so... Um, I was in, uh, gosh, there were a couple of things that happened. One, one was um, I came across an advert for homeopathy to treat malaria. or oh, not to treat malaria, to protect you against malaria. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing about homeopathy is that um, there's nothing in it. The philosophy of homeopathy, is 200 years old. There's a guy called Samuel Hahnemann, and his philosophy was that if, 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 um, if you suffer from hay fever... Yeah. Hay fever makes your eyes water and your eyes itch. What else makes your eyes itch and makes your eyes water? Well, onions do. So maybe a little of what causes a symptom can somehow stop the, th- the symptom. Right. It's quite an ancient philosophy yeah. in, in medicine. It goes back to the ancient Greeks. But what harms you can heal you is the, yeah. the kind of the philosophy.
0: They're in a small amount. You yeah. can build up and do it. Yeah. Build up an immunity or build up some kind of protection against
1: it. Yeah, that sounds a bit like a vaccination, doesn't it? That's that's a kind of philosophy. Like cures like was the the buzz phrase. So you would take your onion juice and you would dilute it because you don't obviously put onion juice in your arm. So you dilute it and you dilute it and you dilute it and you dilute it. And the way you dilute it, you take one drop of onion juice into 100 drops of water, mix it up, one drop of that into 100 drops of water, mix it up, one drop of that into 100 drops of water. Do, If you do that 12 times, the, the, the little beaker of water at the end has got no onion juice left.
0: Yeah.
1: But homeopaths will continue diluting. They'll continue diluting something that doesn't have any onion juice left right, in it. Yeah. And then the final um, you know, remedy at the end, they'll take a sugar pill, you know, uh, you know, drip a bit of the the final uh, you know remedy onto the sugar pill, and that sugar pill is now your homeopathic pill to treat you for hay fever. Yeah, and it makes no scientific sense. It makes you know, chemistry chemists would laugh at it, physicists would laugh at it, doctors would laugh at it. But you can buy it anywhere. You know? Yeah, and, and, and there's a whole industry, and I and I say industry because it's a multi multi million dollar. Yes, industry. of course. Um, and so people were selling this to protect. Um, students against, students, you know, people on their gap years, people traveling overseas yep. against malaria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just couldn't believe it. You know, malaria is a serious condition and you can't treat it with a sugar pill. Yeah. And, um, so, and I couldn't quite believe this was true. I couldn't believe that somebody was selling it. I couldn't believe people would fall for go it. Would go for it as well, yeah. yeah so and it's she,
0: huge, obviously. So, yeah, All, like homeopathy is, yeah.
1: Yeah, because. The, as I you mean, said, a
0: multi million.
1: So, Pete, so, so I asked a young student working with a charity called Sense About Science. I'm now, now a trustee of Sense About Science, but at the time I wasn't. And so I went to Sense About Science. And I said, do you, know, do you have someone I can work with on this? A, a young person, a recent graduate, and, and there was a woman called Alice Tough. She and, uh, she and, I, she and I cooked up a story. And the story was that she was going to go to West Africa for 10 weeks on on an open truck tour, Mm -hmm. um, and she wanted to use homeopathy instead of uh, conventional treatment. And she approached 10 homeopaths, and every single homeopath said, here, take these sugar pills, except they didn't call them sugar pills. They said, here, take these homeopathic pills instead of conventional malarial protection. Yeah. Every single homeopath we approached was willing to send this poor woman off to West Africa where there are strains of malaria that will kill within three days. Um, we're willing to let her leave unprotected. And so crazy, that, that, that made me annoyed. Um, I worked at the BBC for about six or seven years and they made a documentary about, which, which gave the very, very strong impression that you could use acupuncture instead of general anaesthetic. Um, right. wow. it, it was, um, I, I, I actually did a kind of disgusted of Tunbridge Wells and submitted a complaint to the BBC, <laughs> which, was, which was eventually upheld. Um, but, you know, they showed a woman in Shanghai having major heart surgery. And the line was, um, in this 21st century surgical team, this 21st century surgical team is using a 2000 year old technique to control pain. Um, instead of a general anaesthetic, they're using acupuncture. Now, wow. now they weren't using, they, right. they, they, were, they were actually using three of the most powerful sedatives known to mankind right, but yeah. that was not mentioned anyway so those two things the fact that there were people out there offering homeopathy from malaria the fact that the BBC were um, misleading the general public in, in this kind of way mm-hmm. the fact that there are Dodgy adverts. that There's rose-tinted articles in the in the colour supplements. There's so much misinformation out there that um, that I wanted to kind of set the record straight. Yeah. So I teamed up with a guy called Professor Edzard Ernst, who mm-hmm. um, is the world's first professor of complementary medicine. Right. And, uh, so as I said earlier, I'm not a biologist. I'm not a medic. Um, yeah. So he is a professor of complementary medicine. He's a trained doctor. Um. And so we wrote this book together to tell people what does work, what doesn't work, um, what what's dangerous, and yeah. and that's what we do. We go through all the alternative therapies, and by this stage, you'll have guessed, that homeopathy doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but some herbal remedies do.
0: I was going to say, uh, yeah. were there any pleasant surprises along the way that you were maybe sceptical of, or yeah, that yeah. you found to to have some effect?
1: Um. Oh. Uh... The 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 borderline ones are, are
0: acupuncture.
1: Yeah, uh, acupuncture is a borderline one because there is there's some tiny amount of evidence that it may help with pain.
0: Yeah,
1: and nausea, but it's really really borderline. and, yeah. and you have to remember there are side effects like bruising, bleeding, pain, temporary pain. Um, there are other some more serious risks as well, but they're rare. Mm. Um, but given the borderline evidence, I, I wouldn't advise anybody to see an acupuncturist. Right. Uh, particularly, you know, we're talking about pain and nausea. Uh, we're, you know, a stone's throw from, from, uh, from Chinatown. Um, and any Chinese traditional healer who uses acupuncture will always claim to treat everything from diabetes to asthma to eczema. Yeah. To, you know, so suddenly, once you enter the world of acupuncture, you're not very far from a whole wild west of, of dodgy All slaves. these different yeah.
0: Yeah, things they can offer.
1: So homeopathy is complete quackery. Um, uh, acupuncture, I think, is borderline quackery at mm-hmm. best. Um, Herbal medicines, you know, the, the the vast amount of modern medicine is based on herbs. Yeah, and so um, do herbs work? Well, some do. Some do. So, for example, there is some evidence that Saint John's Wort can help with mild and moderate depression. It's only some right. evidence, but but um, but the evidence is there. Um, and 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 do you feel that they work as oh, just a, one, as one a replacement I'll... or a supplement well, the, to like
0: potentially I'll... in any of these things?
1: Well, the, 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 one, the one thing I would say about St. John's work is that um, because, it's a, it's, because it's a herb, it's mm. got a m- whole mix of chemicals in there. And so it has side effects as well. Yeah. And one of the side effects is that I think it accelerates the function of the liver. So if you're taking other medicines, mm-hmm. your liver will break down those medicines and make them ineffective. Right. Uh, including so the contraceptive can pill right. and, wow. and some um, immunosuppressants, I think. So, um so you know you, you need to be really wary. It's not just because it's natural; doesn't mean it's safe. You know, yeah. It's fascinating you know,
0: though, because you'd think of uh, um, in the best situation they would be to work w- with other drugs or with other medication. But it's fascinating to hear. in that situation. That's kind of the opposite. They were if you're using it you should maybe only be using it because it might be cancelling out other things or you know yeah. rem- removing the effect of proven scientific
1: and i think eds has done some surveys on on the extent to which patients tell their doctors about what they're using and most yeah. people don't bother telling their doctors yeah. that they that, sure. that, and they really have to be because if you if you're given a if you take a particular drug it's probably a very pure synthesis of a very specific drug Whereas if you take St. John's wort, it's a whole mixture of – a whole cocktail of chemicals. So yeah. um, it's a much riskier process. And some herbalists, many herbalists, will mix up the herbs. They'll give you a special cocktail yeah. of a cocktail of chemicals. Yeah. Um, so – but in terms of um, – you know, so there are different words. There's alternative. Now, I use the word alternative because – not because these therapies are used as an alternative to conventional treatment – but just because philosophically they're very alternative. You know, they don't yeah. fit within our conventional understandings of science. They're, they're completely, you know, um, you know, alternative music. You know, you don't just listen to alternative music and nothing else. It's, yeah. not yeah. alternative. It, it's alternative because it has a different angle on, on music. It comes from a different place. And that's sure. why I, I call these therapies alternative. Some people use them um, in a complementary way. So they use them, you know, alongside conventional mm-hmm. treatments, which is not so bad, um, Except if they're ineffective, they're ineffective, and they're wasting their money. Um, and there may be other side effects. Um, people talk about integrative medicine as well. Uh, people talk about holistic medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but these are all. I just find these all very mealy mouthed terms because you know, if I go and see my doctor, um, I think he's quite holistic. You know, he'll talk to me about how I'm feeling. He'll talk to me about what kind of exercise regime I'm on. He'll talk to me about whether I should be eating a bit a, a bit better. I shouldn't be drinking these fizzy drinks I've yeah. got here on the table. Um, he'll talk to me about what my previous health. He'll talk about a whole range of different things. And then when it comes to treatment, he may consider pills, he may consider talking therapies, he may consider surgery. You know, modern medicine is really quite holistic. Yeah. You know, It was interesting with the malaria experiment that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. This poor girl, poor woman went to the homeopaths. They just said, here, take these homeopathic pills. As a control, we sent her to a travel clinic on Regent Street conventional travel clinic they sat her down for 20 minutes they talked up through a whole medical history um they gave her advice on what clothes to wear they gave her advice on what insect repellents to use that's what i call holistic
0: yeah 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 that's that's insane the difference there of yeah
1: and and i should stress uh, the other thing i should stress at this point and you you mentioned ben as well you know people like ben and i get accused of being big pharma shills, you know, that we're just standing up for the big pharmaceutical industry and, right. and we're attacking alternative therapies because, you know, we're, we're somehow in the pay of conventional medicine. Yeah. Uh, and, and Ben is a conventional doctor, so, you know, it, 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 it's, it's an accusation that gets thrown at him very harshly. Mm-hmm. But I think both he and, and I, and particularly Ben, are as critical of conventional medicine As anybody else. Conventional medicine clearly has its its problems. And one of the things that Ben started this year um, is something called All Trials, the All Trials campaign, um, which is that the pharmaceutical industry needs to be transparent and it needs to show us all the evidence it has on all the clinical trials it conducts. What it can't do, what it shouldn't do, is conduct a clinical trial. If the results are good, they publish them. If the results are dodgy, they hide them in a cupboard. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that... that, that, that Which you know, is
0: ben, insane that they can do that or yeah. do do that.
1: You know, the patients who take part in these trials on the understanding that they're contributing to the sum of human knowledge. They're not doing it so that the drug companies can hide it away. Yeah. And so what Ben's been doing, along with Sense About Science and a whole slew of other people, is probably one of the biggest... Um, I wouldn't say threats to the pharmaceutical industry, but yeah. one of the, the biggest things to kind of keep it legal, decent, and honest than, than anybody's done in the last 10 years. So yeah. for alternative therapists to attack him is just a complete joke. So, yeah, um, so yeah it's it, I think for Ben and me and Edzard Ernst and lots of people, it's not about being anti-alternative or pro-conventional. It's about being pro-evidence. You know, what yeah. does the evidence tell us? And then let's act on that. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean,
0: we've talked about... Code breaking, which blew my mind, and then c- c- going into wonderful detail here on 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 the myths of medicine and everything else in there. Can we just talk about the Simpsons and Futurama for a bit, please? <laughs> yeah, it's
1: very happy to <laughs> <yeah>.
0: <laughs> again. So, oh, is it your f- your fourth book was fifth? G- 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 yeah, your fifth was on. Yeah. And what is it? It's the maths and.
1: Science w- w- within yeah, so, so the, the Simpsons and I- Futurama. So the idea, the idea is I've worked on this. So I started working on this book ten years ago, um, and wow. the book got derailed because of this all, of this whole alternative medicine thing that sure. just got me frustrated. Um, but I've been working on it for ten years, and the the the, the idea of the book is that. Um, yeah, and, and people would have seen other books, you know, the, the theology of the Simpsons, the psychology of the Simpsons, mm-hmm. the philosophy of the Simpsons—all great books. You know, I'm, I'm sure they're all out there and, and they're lovely books. But the mathematics of the Simpsons is based on the fact that the writers of the Simpsons are mathematicians. Not oh, no. not all of them, not every right. not every single one. Of them, but there are people who have got degrees in maths. People who have got master's degrees in maths. Uh, people who've got PhDs in maths, people that have written research papers in maths. One guy was a professor at Yale. These are hardcore mathematicians. Uh, I'm a physicist, and I think I know a lot about maths. Yeah, these guys. These guys are in a whole league above me. Uh, 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 And uh, and they love maths, okay? Now, they're not mathematicians anymore. They're clearly comedy writers on the world's most successful TV show. Yeah. but they do still love their maths and the way they express that love is by putting maths into The Simpsons where right. nobody's really looking and, and a lot of these writers also moved across or shuttled between Futurama and The Simpsons yeah. and so there's just as much maths in Futurama Futurama is obviously right. a science fiction show so there's naturally going to be some science in there but the mathematics is, is, is really, really um, only there because these writers love their yeah. numbers
0: can you give any examples of anything that you can obviously we've not got a show to or a clip to put on or anything. is there anything you can kind of yeah so sell so up or um
1: So there's an gosh. So in the Simpsons, there's (laughs) there's a reference to prime numbers and Mersenne prime numbers. There's something called a perfect number. Uh, There's a narcissistic number appears in the Simpsons. There's a a joke about calculus or something about Pythagoras' theorem. There's the most beautiful equation in all of maths called uh, Euler's identity appears in two different episodes. Uh, I briefly talked about my first book Fermat's Last what way do they get it in. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. So how does it get in? So, So if it's if it's Something like Pi, yeah, we all know about pie, yeah. so pie can appear as pi we all script.
0: proud agree yep, yeah. I know I, I know <laughs> what you're talking about now, Pi, yep, I know I 'm familiar with Pi Go. so uh,
1: <laughs> so it appears in the script um, and, and um, someone's just taking a drink there um, so uh, Pi appears in about six different episodes, right, so for example, there's one episode where Apu wants to give evidence uh, is giving evidence in a trial. Um, Marge in Chains is the episode and Marge is accused of theft from the quickie mart and Apu is the the main witness against her and Lionel Hutz wants to kind of undermine Apu's credibility so he says to Apu you know you've got a terrible memory we can't trust your evidence and Apu says no no I've got a great memory in fact my memory is so good I can recite pi to 40,000 decimal places and the 40,000th digit is a one. Now, he could have said, I can recite the telephone directory, the Springfield yeah. telephone directory. But he talks about Pi because these writers love Pi. Yeah. And they love it so much that they, the world record for memorising Pi was 40,000 digits when that episode was broadcast. Um, now, you couldn't look up the 40,000th digit at that time because we didn't really have Google or the internet yeah. the way we do today. So they had to write to a world Pi expert, a guy called David <laughs> Bailey at NASA. Well. And David Bailey um, sent them all 40,000 digits of pi. Um, and I spoke to the writers. I said, OK, I like, I, know I like the fact you've got pi in here. That's really good. I always like to see maths in The Simpsons. But why in this episode, at this moment, did you put pi in? And they said that Apu, if you look at Apu's backstory, Apu is a mathematician. All he right. studied maths and science at Caltech uh, he went to Caltech for his undergraduate degree, and when I say Caltech, I don't mean the California Institute of Technology. I mean the Calcutta Institute right. of Technology. <laughs> um, and all of this is documented. There's an episode called "Much a Pooh About Nothing," and um, and, and it's all there. So, so when it's pi, it's in the script. The other things I was talking about, which are more obscure, um, tend to be the title of a book. So right. this, this equation, Euler's identity. Which, as I say, mathematicians think is the most beautiful equation in all of mathematics, and you don't really cover it until you get to university. Right. It's the title of a book, next to Lisa, when she's coaching the uh, the Isotots Little League baseball team right. in Moneybart. The episode called Moneybart. Um, there's an episode called Treehouse of Horror Six where. Um, Homer gets dragged into a higher dimension. It's the weird yep. computerised graphics yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, And there's an equation, Fermat's Last Theorem. my first book, there's an equation there that, that, that flies through the back of the landscape. Uh, it, it, so, so the really hardcore maths yeah. is put it in, in such a way that you don't notice it unless you yeah. really know what to look for. Because Matt Groening said, um, look, you clearly love maths, so clearly <laughs> put as much in as you want, but don't uh, scare the viewers. Yeah, don't no, don't yeah. scare people. So... Um, there's, there's something called P versus NP, um, which crops up in also that Treehouse of Horror episode. And P versus NP is about the fact that there are some questions in maths that are hard and some that are easy. Mm-hmm. And the question is, are the hard ones really hard or have we just not figured out how to do it? Right. So are they are these in a different category, the hard ones, or if we could figure out how to do them, would they also be easy? Yeah. And nobody knows. So people say it's P, which kind of means easy, versus NP, which means hard. You know, Are the easy and the hard ones? Are they, are, they, are, they, um, um, are they different? Now, in The Simpsons, the equation is written P equals NP. So in The Simpsons, they're claiming that the hard ones will become easy. Right, the hard yeah. ones are equal to the easy ones, really. But in Futurama, they say exactly the opposite. In Futurama, there's a suggestion that P does not equal NP. Right. So you have a debate about an unresolved mathematical <laughs> problem across two animated sitcoms, and this just doesn't happen in any other, you know, sitcoms. Yeah. It's a uh, there's a million dollars if you can solve this problem, and it's being debated in Futurama and The Simpsons. It's it's. Uh, That's amazing. It's 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 uh, yeah. It's just weird, and and it just it goes on and on and on. I could um, yeah. That's I could... great. <laughs> what, what was
0: that? Uh, I, I mean, I want to ask. Or, or what was the motivation for writing a book about that? But was it purely just the fascination of it, the fact that it's crazy there's that all of this is in there and hunting it out? In a way, the codes that we don't know are there, um, as you discussed yeah. right at the start, that kind of... They're hidden in there, but no, no one... Uh, the general public... W- I won't notice them until you or yeah. someone similar points them out yeah, 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 I think you're you know right. what that means. They,
1: they, they call them freeze frame gags, yeah. which means you don't see them until you freeze the frame. But, yeah. but they are kind of like steganographic references. They're, they're, they're only there. Um, you, you, know, you just don't see them otherwise. Um, and, and for me, I'm, I'm just always looking for ways of getting other people as interested and excited as excited about maths and science as I am. So, yeah. um, The thing about Fermat's Last Theorem... Is that it is just an incredible story. So yeah. I, I wrote that story because you just couldn't make it up. Yeah. Um, Codes, the code book. You know, it's it's about secrecy and military conflict and you know you know privacy in the 21st century. These are issues that we should all be interested in and we're naturally interested in. So yeah. it's a great way of then. You know, I'm always trying to get the maths in because that's what I love. But, it's it's but,
0: finding the ways of making it yeah. intriguing and accessible. In, that's it, that's in that it. way, codes instantly. It, it, as you said, it's just it's, it's maths equations essentially yeah. a lot of the time. But a code, is exciting because it's exactly. spies and it's it's wars and it's cry. You know, all yeah. this kind
1: of secrecy. And, and then with the Simpsons, you know. I love The Simpsons. I love math, I love Futurama. Um, and there's another group of people out there who won't pick up Fermat's Last Theorem because it kind of sounds scary. Yeah. But they will pick up The Simpsons and their mathematical secrets because the thought of having Homer hold your hand as you as you go through this mathematical yeah. landscape is, is more comforting. Yeah. But the maths in The Simpsons is just as um, just as, as as tricky as the maths in in Fermat's last theorem. In Fermat's last theorem, I talk about infinity, um, and and infinity plus one is still infinity, and two times infinity is still infinity. Um, in, in in the Simpsons book, I explain that there are actually different scales of infinity, that there are some right. infinities that are bigger than other infinities. So, okay. uh, you know, the, the, the maths in the Simpsons and Futurama is not trivial. Yeah, it's it's. Um, it's hardcore because these writers are really, really, you know, really strong on their maths.
0: It's great though to, as, as you as you said, that the the fact it's got Simpsons and Futurama in 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 the title and theme is going to make a lot of people more comfortable picking it up and it working as mm-hmm. um or as a non homeopathic gateway drug, I guess, in, in <laughs> into the other into the, in, in into the other stuff, which is as you said, equally as in depth, but you might not have have taken that leap because yeah. it's it's scary and,
1: and then that comes back to what we were talking about at the beginning you know there are some people who won't pick up a book of 300 pages but they will come to a night out uh, at the bloomsbury theater and watch oh, a show this where, where, where you know where, where they're going to get a bit of cosmology and a bit of chemistry and a bit of math and so on so it just it's just giving and there's some amazing things on the internet now
0: yeah
1: um there's something called file. Um, right. Which are just short five, 10 minute videos. And every time they come out, they get a million hits. Yeah. Because there's a whole group of people there that want their maths in those kind of five, 10 minute bite that sized chunks um, yeah. And that's great too. There's great, you know, I go, I go to the bakers at my local train station, and the guy looks at me and says, Hey, you're the number file guy. Because, yeah. you know, he's not read any of my books, but he's seen me on the number file so, yeah. videos. So that's fantastic. Um, it's, it's, and th- 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 this month, uh, well, um, you know, this year is the 100th is the centenary of the birth of a guy called Martin Gardner. Most people won't have heard of Martin Gardner, Mm -hmm. but he was um, a popular science writer. He was what we call a sceptic or a rationalist. He wrote the best maths puzzles book in the world. Right, And again... Puzzles is another way of getting into math, And yeah, Martin was the, the, the doyenne of, of those puzzles. He said that um, his puzzles turn thousands of children into mathematicians, but they also turn thousands of mathematicians back into children because his puzzles are so playful. They're yeah. just really intriguing. That's beautiful. Um, well, I mean, we've
0: gone over the hour mark. There's still tons of things I want to talk about, but I'll, I'll probably stream things down. Let's... Are you you, you wanted to do a demonstration yeah, with the uh, with your laptop. Let's try, try this it. out. Go and, ahead. And
1: and, and uh, so this was when I was looking at codes. Yeah. And um, and I'll just play this. This is Led Zeppelin Stairway to Heaven mm-hmm. backwards. Okay. I'll, okay. I'll just it, 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 it just have a listen to it, uh, and people uh, listening um, at home can listen to it as well. Just see what you make of it. See if you can hear any words in it. Um, oh, let me put the sound up again. So did you hear anything in there at all? Or well, the one that's kind of d-
0: discussed is is Satan, particularly, you know, the the word Satan jumping out
1: right. did you a couple kept, of times. A couple of times. Okay, yeah. great. So you heard Satan a couple of times, mm-hmm. and I guess other people may have heard it a couple of times as yeah. well. Now, the question is, um, okay, having heard the word Satan, or maybe not heard it, did you hear... Here's to my sweet Satan, the one whose little path would make me sad, whose power is Satan. Oh, he'll give you, he'll give you 666. There was a little tool shed where he made us suffer. Sad Satan. Did you hear any of those? I didn't catch that. No, okay. I maybe didn't catch that. (laughs) So let me play it to you again. And this time, I reckon, if you watch the screen, okay, this may well not work for people at home because they, they can't see the words. Yep. But... I reckon. For I'm you- going to
0: move away from my microphone for a second to take this in properly. But okay. Go ahead.
1: So we'll play it again, and this time we'll see if if you can hear these words.
0: Saw and heard all of that,
1: yeah. It's shocking, isn't it? It really is. How, yeah. And and the reaction I get. I mean, okay. So so I say, people listening will just say they didn't really hear the same thing. They just heard the same thing twice because. They couldn't see and I I, show, I didn't just show you the words, I lit the words up yeah, one, one at a time. That's what I was, yeah. And and so for you, I kinda of think it was probably quite a shocking weird experience. Yeah, completely. Because yeah. I
0: said the first time it was just sounds and then occasionally that potential but but again, maybe that potential Satan because I'm aware that people yeah. say when you play it backwards you hear hear it's, Satan. So that suggestion's already there.
1: Exactly. That's what it's all about. It's all about the power of suggestion. That our brains Um, are always looking for meaning. They're always trying to make sense of the world. They've evolved over a million years to try and understand the world around us and to to find patterns. And if I suggest a pattern to you um, and I say you will hear these patterns and I show you the words and I light them up one at a time, your brain goes out of its way to hear those words yeah. and to try and conjure those words from the garbled noise you're hearing, yeah. and your brain tricks you into hearing something that really is not there, yeah. and, um, and 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 our brains can trick us into seeing things that aren't there. Our brains can trick us into believing things that aren't true. And and I, I like to do these demos. I'm sure I've done it at one of Robin's um, yeah. events uh, a couple of times. I'm sure. And and the point of doing it is to make people realise that they can't necessarily trust their own senses. Yeah. Um, seeing is not believing, hearing is not believing. And that's why science and mathematics and technology are so important because that takes that allows us to take a step back and to try and be as objective as possible and yeah. try and get to the real truth of what's going on. Um, and that's so it's yeah. wonderful because it's
0: really it's, it's a beautiful thing to and a thing that is hard to take as a human when you're brought up to be that humans are humans, the mighty great, you know, lords of the of the planet. But the fact that, yeah, it's not all, you know, what we hear, what we see, and what we hear. It's not as simple as that. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's far more in depth than that, and, and we are as easily led as as any creature on the mm. on the on the on the planet, essentially.
1: And and, that, and again, going back to homeopathy, and you know, okay, I, I say homeopathy is bunk and it's tosh and it's quackery and it doesn't work, but it will engender a placebo effect. Yeah, because if you have a, a belief that this homeopathic pill is going to heal you, and you have, let's say, hay fever, then your hay fever symptoms will probably seem less to you yeah. because of the power of the mind allowing you to cope with those symptoms better mm-hmm. and um so you know some people might say well then why you know why be so negative about homeopathy but for me you know conventional drugs conventional treatments also have a placebo effect
0: right so yeah.
1: why just short change people with a placebo just the give placebo them a real when... treatment plus a placebo yeah. and also we started off talking about malaria and mosquitoes don't know about the placebo effect yeah, yeah.
0: so no placebo really gonna effect going to stop that. you yeah, yeah. So,
1: um but 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 yeah there is a link there that that your mind can trick you in into things and the placebo is a good trick yeah. because it's a good thing regardless of, uh, of where it's coming from um but but it's important to be be aware of that sometimes and to take have, a step back
0: have you looked into or discussed? Um, an- Nootropics at all. Um, it's it's a thing. It's it's something that I've 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 been a fan of, and it, the, the, there's a, a lot of trials going on at the at, at the moment. There's a particular <laughs> I'm going to s- say the name, and it's going to s- sound l- ludicrous to you now, but it's called Alpha Brain um, and Nootropics in general. It's I've not got a good enough understanding to discuss it, but um, I took it when I was learning a song of mine backwards, and it, it, it's generally. Uh, there to increase kind of sh- sharpness and kind of just i don't know if it, it, it feels like it is the, the way i describe it was it feels like someone's going around and, and turning all the lights on in right. my brain for me so n- not necessarily increasing my overall uh potential level but kind of starting you know, just getting me there that bit bit quicker and seeming that bit sharper um and yeah I, yeah if you've
1: yeah, it, it, I mean, the, the mind is an incredible thing, and, um, and we should ma- try and maximise its ability and so on. Yeah. Um, and, and I think from my point of view, the, the, the thing is always to, to just try and be aware of whether something is legit, whether, yeah. whether the claims it's making really do stand up. Um, and the
0: open, as you said, the open trials on everything like that, I think yeah. has got to be absolutely key, right? Because it was mind-blowing the first time I heard um, either you or Ben discussing that the fact that trials go on and if they don't go the way someone wants they get put away it it kind of means that the trials are only there to support but not to protect. They're only there to go, look we've done a trial and it proves we're good. Whereas, whereas, yeah.
1: whereas you know, what good science is about is actually trying to prove yourself wrong. Yeah. That, that's yeah. what the, the, I mentioned Martin Gardner earlier, who wrote a, a book about religion. And, um, oh, gosh, I forgot what it was called, The Philosophical Meanderings of a Scrivener or something. And uh, it got trashed. It got the worst possible review in the New York Times. And the reviewer of Martin Gardner's book turned out to be Martin Gardner. And right. he trashed his own book because he said, I'm going to try and be my, wor- my, my own worst, worst critic. critic because yeah. I need to understand where the weaknesses are in my own arguments and so on. And that's what scientists do. You know, yeah, if they conduct great. an experiment. They do their best to tear it apart. And if they don't tear it apart, they stand up at a conference and all their peers will tear it apart. Um, in a way that everybody understands to be productive because there was a guy called Oliver Wendell Holmes. And he said, look, truth is like a football." which means you can kick it around as much as you want. Um, But at the end of the day, if it's the truth, it will remain round and beautiful because you can't destroy it. Whereas if it turns out to be it's not the truth, then you'll burst that balloon pretty rapidly. So that's what we need to do is to really criticise things as much as possible and and step back from what we want to be true or what we hope to be true or what we've invested our money in to be true. Uh, It's really just what does the evidence tell us, one way or the other.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, I um, uh, uh, thank you very much for coming in. Uh, where can people keep up to date on everything you?
1: Um, I'm, I'm uh, on Twitter. I'm S. L. Singh. Mm-hmm. S. L. Singh, and that's kind of um, that's that's yeah. I'm not that's doing much at the moment. That. No, that's fine. No, that's great. Um, well, thank
0: uh, uh, thank you very much for coming along. I'm sure our paths will, will cross again at, at some point down the line. But yeah, it's been fantastic talking to you, and thank you. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Lots of fun. Thanks a lot. Cheers.
1: You've been listening to Scroobie's Picks Distraction
0: Pieces. That was Distraction Pieces podcast number six with Simon Singh. And how good was that? I, I genuinely think I'm going to have to have him on for another chat because it was so much. I had a, he's amazing guy. I hit him up a, about this and we've only met once or twice. And he sent me an email that day saying, here's a list of things I've written books about or just interesting shit that's going on in my life at the moment and we got through about half of that list so I hope to talk to him again at some point but it's absolutely fascinating so really pleased to have him on. Um, if you'd like to ask me any questions or f- follow me or hit me up I'm at Scroobius Pip on Twitter and on Instagram and Facebook.com slash Scroobius Pip um, yeah come check me out um, and that's kind of it for today. We've we're, yeah we're plugging on every every week with this it's been nice because a lot of people thought that it was only going to be four podcasts. I initially only announced the first four, which if you missed them were a Russell Brand, Zane Lowe, um, Alan Moore and DJ Yoda. Um, But yeah, it's a weekly thing. We ain't going nowhere, particularly since we're somehow riding the charts at the moment, which is amazing considering, as I've mentioned before, it's just me with a little (laughs) mixing desk and uh, a a Walgie putting it to, together for me at the end of the day so anyway i'm getting all sentimental i'm going to leave you now i will see you all next week when we have warren ellis which is a very exciting one to have i'm going to talk longer now because i've just remembered how exciting this is i've pre-recorded it obviously so we basically have a a massive nerd out um one of the really popular ones so far has been the alan moore one um and that was great, so fans of that, I think will be big fans of the Warren Ellis one. The only criticism anyone had of the Ella Moore one was we didn't nerd out over comics enough, and we discussed a lot of other things. Trust me if you if your nerd quota is down for this month the the Warren Ellis chat will pick that right up. it was an absolute honor to talk about comic books and get really nerdy with one of the greatest writers for Marvel for DC for Image for everyone um so yeah subscribe now and check us out until next week this has been the distraction pieces podcast peace,
1: peace.